0: Questions I get from people when I tell them our church is called Revelation Church is, is they ask me, Do you study the book of Revelation all the time? And up until today, I've been able to say, No, we've never studied the book of Revelation. <laughs> uh, we are, and I'll get into it in a minute, but we're, we're starting a, a short series for the next seven weeks. In some specific sections of the Book of Revelation. So, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one. Of the, one of the pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to be on page one thousand eighty-nine in that uh, Bible. Revelation chapter one. So, my wife and I uh, bought our first home together in two thousand and nine. Or late 2008. It was Christmas of 2008, I believe, when we moved in, and it was this 2,000 square foot, two-story track home in Post Falls. And uh, at the time, we thought it was awesome. We we learned to hate it, and we moved. But at the time, it was great. It was on this in this 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 uh, track neighborhood, and we had this tiny little 0.1 acre lot, and. Uh, I was into mid-century modern design. And, you, you know, when you buy a track home, you, they typically do the front yard for you and the backyard is just like dirt and you get to do what you want with it. And so I sketched out this like concrete landscape in our backyard with all of these like concrete squares all lined up in a row and a big patio and a retaining wall and all this rock and trees and stuff. And When we got it done, I had a patch of grass smaller than this stage in my backyard. And so, I got on the internet and I bought a European manual push mower. Maybe one of the old ones that you see like Andy Griffith using. But like super high tech from Europe, it's called a Brill. And I loved it. Because I went out to mow my lawn and it's like dead silent. There's no gasoline, uh, and it just, it just kind of whirs as it spins, and it cuts the blades like scissors, and not like, you know, the rotor. I got super geeky about grass at the time. It's not important. <laughs> but the thing is, it, the two blades would come together, and they'd snip the grass as they passed, and they were really sharp. But every so often, every season or so, because, you know, you'd run over rocks and, and random children's toys and, and things. It, it would come out of alignment. And so you had to get a couple tools out and this little gauge that it came with and, and realign the blades so that they would cut sharply. And I feel like as followers of Jesus, that is often our story. We're doing well, everything is going great, but every so often, we're just a little bit out of alignment. We need to just take a little bit of time, get out some tools, and reconfigure our souls to work correctly. The season of Lent starts this Wednesday, this is a uh, part of the church calendar that the Christians have practiced for thousands of years. Um, we have evidence that the early church practiced this season prior to Easter. It was officially like made um, uh, uh, canonical, I guess, in at the Council of Nicaea in 325. So pretty early on in Christian history. Christ- and they said, we want to celebrate this season called Lent. And if you're unfamiliar with Lent, Lent is the 40 days before Easter. And it's um, it uses the number 40 because in the Bible, 40 days are often days that are trial or testing or preparation. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days and there's many other instances in the Bible where 40 days are used to communicate testing and trial and and Lent is intended to be a time of repentance. Repentance means turning away from other things and turning back to Jesus. It's meant to be a time of meditation, of giving careful thought to who Christ is. And As a season, it it precipitates Easter because Easter is this time where we, we celebrate the cross, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we do so joyously, and Lent is designed to prepare our hearts, to realign our souls for that season. And some of you may have a lot of history with Lent, you've celebrated Lent, you're excited about the season. Others of you may be going like, I've never done this before, is this a Catholic thing? Why would we do this? Can't we, can't we repent and meditate on Christ any time of the year? And yeah, you can. But that's kind of like saying, like, why do we give gifts at Christmas? We could give gifts any time of the year. Well, it's, it's set aside. It's, it's a special time to do that. And as a, as a season in the church, the Lenten season focuses on, it's got two priorities. And the first priority is fasting, And everybody's like, oh, I'm out. I'm out. Fasting, not doing that. But fasting is a really beautiful discipline for the church. And it's one that we don't often practice uh, because maybe it's scary, maybe it seems weird. Fasting typically has to do with food. So during the Lenten season, a lot of people give up um, maybe meat or sugar or uh, caffeine, or alcohol, or some other food that's a big part of their lives. You don't have to give up food. Maybe um, it's become uh, almost necessary to consider social media as an option to give up during Lent. Reading a book about how we're all addicted to social media and it's killing us this week, and um, one of the statistics from the book was the average adult touches their phone 2,000 times a day I also read that like in all your apps, Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and stuff, what do you do to refresh it? You, you pull it down and then you let go and then a little thing spins and you get new pictures. You know why? Because that's how slot machines work. And the designers of the early apps said, you know, we've got this really addictive behavior. You pull the lever down, you let it go, the wheels spin and new pictures come up. Let's make our apps do that so that we can suck people in. And, and I know for a lot of us, our phone and our social media accounts and all of that is, has a grip on our hearts. Maybe that's something that you consider saying, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to delete Instagram from my phone for Lent. Because fasting, whatever it looks like, does a few different things. It, it gives us Reliance on the Holy Spirit, because we're going we're to gonna want to reach for that thing, reach for the phone, or, or have a glass of wine, or, 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 or a candy bar, or whatever it is that we've decided we're going to set aside, and it gives us an opportunity to go, no, I don't need that. I have Christ in me. He is my sufficiency. It's also removal of distractions. Oftentimes, the things that we um, spend a lot of our time with, we don't need to spend as much time in, and when we give them up for Lent, we have more time to focus on things that are greater. And then it's also a countercultural spiritual power. If you go out into the world and start telling people that you're not using social media for Lent, or you've given up drinking beer for 40 days, or you're not eating sugar it's weird. And people go, why? And you can tell them, well, I've got something better than those things. I'm refocusing my heart on my relationship with Christ. And the thing about fasting in general is that it's commanded in scripture. Like Jesus doesn't, doesn't give us the option to fast. He, in Matthew 9, he says that he's going to leave his disciples. And when he does they are going to fast. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast, I want you to fast like this. And so it's not really something that we can say, well, that's not, I'm not into that, I don't do that sort of thing. The time of fasting, when you fast, that's not a command. We don't have to fast in certain periods of times, but God expects his people to practice fasting. And again, if Lent is a, is a season where it's, we can do it as a community together, I would suggest that it's something that we shouldn't take seriously. The other focus of Lent is fasting and actually focusing, and focusing on who Christ is, focusing on the cross, focusing on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This season, our church is going to focus around the book of Revelation. Revelation means unveiling. I've talked about it before. Our church is not named after the book of Revelation specifically, but about the doctrine of Revelation, which says that God is a God that reveals himself. He doesn't keep himself hidden. People who are seeking after the Lord will find him because he wants to be found. But the book of Revelation is called that because at the very beginning, John, who writes it, says that this is the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Revelation is a very specific Beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And so we're going to do two things. Uh, We're going to put together a reading plan. And at both doors, you're going to see a little card. I think I have one up here. Looks like this. And it says Revelation Reading Plan. And it starts the week of March 1st for six weeks. And it's chapters 1 through 3 on the first week, chapters 4 through 6 on the second week. And if you follow the reading plan through the six weeks of Lent, you'll get through the whole book of Revelation. And on the back side, it says some, it'll give you some tips about what to look for as you read. The other thing that we're doing is we're going to have a sermon series starting today. Um, The book of Revelation is, was written by um, the Apostle John, we think, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, the guy who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, one of Jesus' disciples. He was uh, being persecuted by the Roman Empire, and he was boiled in oil, according to church history, but it didn't kill him for some reason, and the emperor was frustrated by this, and so he banished him to an island called Patmos, which is in the Mediterranean Sea, and on this island, he has a vision, and he writes it down, and he sends it out to seven different churches... And if, as you read the book of Revelation, it's, a lot of people are either super excited about the book of Revelation because it's like the end of the world prophecy stuff, and other people are super afraid of the book of Revelation because it's really weird. But as you read it, you're going to see that there's a lot of numbers in the book. Numbers are a big deal to John. You're going you're gonna to read about the number four and the number seven, the number 10, the number 12, the number 40. One of the numbers in the book, seven, if you read through, you're going to find the word blessing or blessed uh, or oh, how happy is how you could translate it. And John's, John writes this down seven times. the book of Revelation. There are seven blessings in the book of Revelation. And and I think, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think because he's so excited about the number seven. um, The number seven stands for completeness in the Bible. So there's seven blessings in the book of Revelation. So starting today on Sunday mornings, when we gather, we're going to go through each one of those blessings every week until Easter. So we're not going to go at this time, verse by verse through Revelation, we're not going to hit all of the juicy parts about the beasts and the, uh, the bowls and the trumpets. I'm sure we'll hit it someday. But for the next seven weeks, we're going to take a look at what it means to be blessed according to John in the book of Revelation. And as we read through these blessings, they're They're often counterintuitive, just like Jesus' blessings in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor. And you're like, really? Are you sure, Jesus, the poor, are they really blessed? A lot of John's blessings in Revelation, you'd think like, I don't know if that's true, John. That seems a little backwards. And we're going to wrestle with how counterintuitive some of these blessings are. So this morning, we're going to hit the very first blessing. It's in the very beginning of the book. Verses 1 through 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. So this blessing talks about three different kinds of people. First of all, the one that reads. See, very few people in the first century had any books. There's no no written documents that everyone has access to. The printing press won't be invented for 1,400 years. If you want a copy of a book, you have to write it out by hand. And so John writes down all 22 chapters of Revelation with an ink pen on a piece of papyrus. And then either he or someone associated with him copies it seven times and sends a copy to each one of the churches that it's addressed to. And that's the only copy that you get. That's the only, your church has a copy of the letter. And and someone arrives with this copy and says, I have a letter from John on Patmos. And the church gathers together and the one typically that delivered the letter would stand up and they would read it. And so John says, blessed is, one that reads it out loud to the congregation. I would encourage you as you read through the book of Revelation this month to read it out loud. Read it with your family. Read it with your community group. And and, and stand up and be like, I want to read it out loud because I want the blessing. But I think it, it, it points to another blessing, which is we don't have that problem, right? Like we... We have this text. We have Bibles upon Bibles. We have phones with Bibles and translations. And we have access to the Greek and Hebrew if we want to figure out how to read that. We have so much access to the Word of God. And and it's a reminder that, that early Christians didn't. It was a beautiful, precious thing for them to have a single copy of a letter from an apostle And we have all of it in our pockets. The second blessing is to the one who hears. The one who listens to the book. And and I I think this is a reminder that we should be interacting with this book. Um, And again, like I said, some of us are super excited about the book of Revelation. Others of us maybe are afraid of the book of Revelation. But it's an incredibly beautiful and important part of scripture. Richard Bauckham writes Revelation is not only one of the finest literary works in the New Testament but also one of the greatest theological achievements of early Christianity. And I think it's important that we understand the book of Revelation as a piece of literature and art. Bruce Metzger says Revelation is unique in the Bible in appealing primarily to our imagination Not, however, a freewheeling imagination, but a disciplined imagination. So we read read books like the Psalms, and we understand that they're written to appeal to our emotions. And we can connect with David crying out to God in the Psalms through our emotions. We read a book like Deuteronomy or Exodus, and we see that it's law. And we can connect with the commands of God through our will, and we can go, I I understand this and I want to obey it. We read a book like Romans and we, we see Paul making detailed, precise arguments and we can connect with that book with our intellect and follow along with the logic. But Metzger says that revelation is meant to connect to our imaginations. It's a meant, it's meant to spark images in our minds. And I like to think of it like this. If, when when you open the newspaper or, or flick through Facebook and you see a cartoon and there's a donkey and an elephant and they're doing something, we know immediately what that cartoon's about. It's about Democrats and Republicans. Because those are the symbols that our culture has adopted for those particular worldviews. And it it doesn't, as much as the Republicans might want to make the donkey represent Democrats in a real way. That's not what it's about. Republicans aren't somehow trunk-like or big with ears. Like, that doesn't matter. It's, it's not the details of the symbol. It's the symbol itself. And we, we learn how to interpret the symbols to see the meaning behind them. Revelation is filled with symbols. John pulls symbols from all over the Old Testament. Hundreds of scriptural allusions from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And Revelation draws us in in the way that any art does. The way you engage with art, you have to shift your mind a little bit. Think about um, Don McLean's song, American Pie, for any of you that are familiar with it. It's about a plane crash that some rock stars died in. But it never really says that. It talks about all these other things. Van Gogh's Starry Night is about how the institutional church in his day had lost the gospel and how he was grieving the fact that he couldn't find Christ in the congregation, but he instead found it alive. He found the spirit alive in the homes of the people of the villages surrounding the church. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't write that down. He paints a picture. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings has all of these images of bravery and mercy and justice and love, but it's not an essay. It's an epic fantasy. And so deep down, we know that we're engaging with art and we are called to see something behind it. And Revelation is designed that way. Revelation is designed to be engaged with in our imaginations. So the one who reads is blessed, the one who hears is blessed. And then he says, the one who obeys. I think this is super important and it's gonna be important for us as we read through the book through the season of Lent. Revelation is not only a book that predicts the future. It does definitely talk about future events, but it's not like a sports almanac that Marty McFly got his hands on, like a newspaper from... Times that haven't come yet. It's like if if I took a copy of the Coeur d'Alene Press and I gave it to you and said, obey this, what would you what would you do? Like, well, the city council voted on some stuff. Here's how much pollution's in the lake. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with this. So if we if we read the book of Revelation as just like a news report from the future, we can't possibly obey it. But but John specifically says, you will be blessed if you obey it. So there must be something in this book. That we can obey. Revelation is a prophetic, apocalyptic letter that John writes to seven churches about how to live their lives faithfully to Jesus in a world that is set against them. So, what is this book about? I want to I focus us on four different things. And if you get one of the handouts, the four things that this book is about is on the backside. And as you read Revelation, the first thing I want us to notice is that this book is about Jesus. It's, it's easy to forget that when you want to you wanna talk about the Mark of the Beast and 666 and the Antichrist and the New World Order and all of these things, that this book is about Jesus. So this, in the first sentence of the book, it says it's the revelation of Jesus. Jesus is on every page of the book. And he's alternatively shown to be this all-powerful, mighty God. And he's also shown to be a slaughtered lamb. And these two images of Jesus are never shown in conflict with one another. They're both, they're both praised in unison. Jesus is both of these things. Jesus is the conquering king, and the way he conquers is through his death and through his word. Jesus is the active personality in the book of Revelation. He's either doing the actions or he's delegating the actions to others. And so as you read the book of Revelation, ask yourself the question, what does this tell me about Jesus. The second thing that I want us to focus on in the book of Revelation is the witness of the church and the nonviolent resistance of God's people to the world. God's people are constantly pictured throughout the book of Revelation and they're pictured standing against the religious and economic practices of the world system that they find themselves in. And spoiler alert, they usually die because of it. They stand up against the powers of darkness, and it ends in their own death. The book of Revelation is incredibly political. And when I say political, I don't want you to think like the democratic primaries. I want you to think about um, the, the bigger idea of the city. Political means of the city. There's this this letter that was written in the second century uh, by Christians. Um, It's called the Epistle to Diognetus. And in this letter, the, the author writes, Christians live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They have a share in everything as citizens, but endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their fatherland, and yet for them, every fatherland is a foreign land. The book of Revelation pictures the people of God as citizens, but also exiles from the world around them. And everything about the the culture that they exist in is moving them in a direction that they have to resist. And so when I say Revelation is political, it's not just Democrat, Republican political, but it's also Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, NFL, Netflix, Apple, Android, political. There's all of these things in our culture that are pushing us a certain way that we sit ourselves down in this river and we just let it go. And the book of Revelation is about the people of God deciding, no, we're not gonna just go with the flow of the river, we're gonna stand against it. Even the in uh when the mark of the beast comes up and everybody's super excited about what's the mark of the beast it's technology for commerce it's here's get this thing so that you can buy and sell it's stuff that it just it just flows out of the world that the people live in well that makes sense why don't just we'll just do this thing and and the people of god just have this this idea that no No, maybe we should not do that. Maybe we should be different. Maybe we should choose a different path. And it ends up making them enemies of the culture. In Revelation 18, the people of God are called to come out of of Babylon. Babylon is the name given to the world culture. Come out of Babylon. And so the question is, will the people of God follow the beast Follow the culture, follow the world, or will we follow the Lamb? Will we follow Christ? And so the second question to ask is how does Revelation speak to our view of culture? Are we just people that blindly accept whatever the next new thing is? Or do we ask the question, how how am I supposed to walk as a follower of Christ in the midst of all of these things that are being presented to me? The third thing to look out for in the book of Revelation is worship. Over and over and over again, angels and people tell God and Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy. Worship is about presence. John finds himself in his visions in the heavenly temple, in the presence of God. And I'd like you to think of worship as this, the idea of of loving someone greater than yourself being near to God is the goal of worship. And Revelation is is a sensory experience of the presence of God. It's interesting, we, we can only read the book, but John is constantly calling out sights and sounds and smells and even tastes of his experience throughout the narrative of the book. And, and I just think about, like, we just had Valentine's Day, right? And I know a lot of us uh, went out and had, like, a Valentine's Day dinner with someone that we loved. And what does, that, what does that look like? Well, it's usually somebody wears a nice dress, somebody else wears a nice suit, maybe there's some perfume, some cologne, there's a nice restaurant, the lights are low, there's some music playing in the background, there's some tastes and smells and experiences... Because love is a multi-sensory experience. And John describes worship in heaven, love to God as a multisensory experience. So it prompts the question how does the book of Revelation speak to our relationship with God? The last thing to focus on in the book is hope. the book of Revelation is all about hope. No matter where we land, no matter where we are currently, in the end, God wins. God, God restores the world back to the way it's meant to be. All the wrongs are going to be righted and God will usher his people into a new heaven and a new earth that are completely good and perfect in every way. And life and love and peace and perfect relationships between God and human beings are going to be the reality of the future world. This is hinted at throughout the book as the people of God are struggling to live in the world that they find themselves. And at the end of the book, it's realized when God destroys sin and death and creates a new world for his people. Revelation scholar Adela Collins says, the destiny of the world and even of the church is beyond human control. But people can discern the outlines of that destiny and ally themselves with it. They can avoid working against it. and They can embody its values in witness to the world. So when you read the book of Revelation, you ask the question, how, how can I align myself in hope with where God is taking the world? Because it's very clear by the end of the book where it's all going to end up. And we have the opportunity as we read and study to make, to shape our lives into witnesses of that new kind of world. So, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy And keep what is written in it because the time is near. Starting next Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent, we will go through the remaining six blessings in the book of Revelation. And they all will be words of blessing, words of hope, words of worship, words of witness, definitely words about Jesus, and they're all going to be things that we can obey, that we can submit ourselves to, that we can be obedient to. As we practice the Lenten season together, there will be uh, resources posted on our social media accounts, um, questions to discuss with your family, um, resources to look at, scriptures to meditate on. If you're giving up social media for Lent, that won't be very helpful. (laughs) Um, But if you're not, they'll be there. And I would just encourage you all, especially if you've never practiced Lent, to, to take the time with us to realign your heart, to sharpen the blades in preparation for the celebration of Easter. Ask the Lord, how can I how can I fast this season? What can I what can I set aside so that I have more time, more energy, more focus for you? How can I use these resources to help me refocus on who Christ is? Because Jesus Jesus brings us salvation, right? We we are saved by grace through faith, Paul writes. It's it's not not by things that we do. It's not by works. It's a gift of God. Everything that we have in Christ has been given to us by Jesus. But part of what we've been given by Jesus is his spirit that allows us to walk with him. And this idea of faith, of of believing in Christ, is also connected to this other idea of faithfulness. God is faithful, but he gives us the ability to walk in faithfulness as well. And so as we accept the gift of Christ by grace, through faith, we are empowered to walk in faithfulness. And Lent is an opportunity for a tune-up of our faithfulness. This is expressed every week when we celebrate communion. We come to the table and we receive the bread and the cup representing the body and blood of Christ. What do we do to earn that? Nothing. Jesus gives himself freely to it. But notice we don't, we don't take communion once and then we're good. We take communion regularly, not because it has any special power, but because it's an example of the fact that we are in relationship with Christ. Our our walk is continual. We come to the table week after week recommitting ourselves to walk with Jesus. And the very fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead gives us the power and the ability to walk in a faithful covenant with him. So like I said, Lent starts on Wednesday. So you got a few more days to do whatever it is you're going to stop doing. I would encourage you to grab a reading plan. Read Revelation. Give up something and fast for Lent. Take time and these tools to realign your heart realign your spiritual life to Jesus. And if you're if you're not a Christian, if you're if you're if maybe you maybe you thought you were a Christian or you used to be a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian or maybe you've never even thought about it, I would say this is a perfect time to explore that in the community of God's people. Ask questions. Read Revelation, learn about Jesus and see if you hear the Spirit of God speak to you as we approach Easter. We're going to sing, we're going to pray. The communion table is going to be open, so feel free to take the bread in the cup and take it back to your seat and meditate on the fact that you've been saved by faith, by grace, and that you, you walk in faithfulness to Christ because he's faithful to you. We remind each other of who he is as we sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church, your your body of people who have been walking with you Year after year after year, for the last two thousand years, and I I thank you that we can be a part of that thing that's bigger than ourselves. And the season of Lent is something that Christians all around the world are going to celebrate together. And use this time to refocus. Their hearts and thank you for the privilege to join them in that. God, I, I pray that as we open this this book, this this strange book at the end of the Bible, that you would bless our reading of it, just like you said you would. You would bless our attention to it, and you would bless our obedience to it. God, help it challenge us. Help it comfort us. Help it give us hope. Help it teach us about Jesus. And God, I just pray that as a community of people in Coeur d'Alene, you would shape us into what you want us to be by the power of your word, by the faithfulness of your spirit, that you would just lead us and guide us as we, as we head toward the kingdom that you are establishing for us. just pray that you would speak to your people as we worship you through song. In Jesus' name, amen.